Hey, Pastor Justin here, and I want to welcome you to our verse-by-verse teaching through God's Word. We hope and pray that this is a huge resource to you, and it helps you grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ and the Bible. Also, want to encourage you, if this is your only place where you're being fed, go and be a part of the local church. We love being a part of your life, but it's no substitute for being a part and serving in the local church. Also, if this has blessed you, we would love to hear about it. There's an email that's listed below, and if you send us an email and just tell us how God's Word has changed your life, it would bless us tremendously. Also, would you pray and consider maybe helping us continue this ministry and getting God's Word all over the world? You can do that by going to newheightsohio.com and click on the Giving tab. Anything helps, and we appreciate it. God bless. Well, welcome everybody to New Heights Church. My name is Enos Marshall. I'm the executive pastor here. And uh, what a great, great day. It's an honor for me to be speaking uh, with you guys this morning. Uh, Pastor Justin is on a well-needed, well-deserved vacation uh, with the family. They're probably on the road back, but they were on the, the... the shores of the Gulf Coast. He sent me some pictures and it looked really good. It looked a lot better than the rain we were getting most of the week. So they looked like they were sweating, not just because of humidity, but because the sun was out and it's awesome. So we're excited for them. They can refresh here. Can you believe that, uh, I mean, school is starting. This week, uh, Cincinnati Christian starts. I believe next week, most of the public schools around here start. That is crazy. It's still the beginning of August, but it is the the last few days before um, all the kids will be heading back to school. So if there's any kids in here listening, sorry. But all the parents rejoice. All right, well, we're gonna, we are continuing our series and our study in the book of 1 Peter. And really, Peter's uh, audience is targeted as at those believers uh, who are on the brink of hopelessness. Really, the, the point um, of, of his letter can be summarized in this is that Christ gives hope to the suffering. And, and, and Peter knew this firsthand. He lived a life of dark times, of suffering, of pain, of hurt. So he, he knew it firsthand. He knew what we were going through as he, and what we would go through as he was writing this letter. And so Peter's heart is really to help the believer uh, really live the life that God has for him to live out their life living for Jesus. Not just in the the good times, but also in the bad times. So no matter what circumstances life will throw at us, that is his heart, uh, to help us to be able to get through uh, to, to get through those times. And so now Peter's, the Peter's real topic uh, and main point really for the rest of the book of First Peter through these last verses and into the next chapter is going to be focusing on suffering. And so we ask the question, so how do we apply Peter's teaching uh, to our lives and as we live out the, uh, the rest of our lives? How do we conduct ourselves under persecution and under suffering. Well, Peter, it just in the last week we talked about it, Pastor Justin talked about it, we talked about some verses 
where Peter was really talking about some virtues that we could live by in our life, that if we pursued these virtues, if we made these virtues a part of us, they would help us to grow in our faith, to grow stronger in our faith. And then he said specifically that, that we could live a blessed life. Now, when I think about a blessed life, because a lot of times too, when you think about suffering and persecution, you don't go, oh yeah, blessed life goes with that. But what is Peter talking about when he says bless? Bless can be interpreted as happiness or, or joy. But a lot of times we can get hung up on happiness because I think many of us live our lives with happiness that's tied to our emotions. So if things are good, we're happy. But if things are bad, we're not so happy. Well, that is, so really blessed can be interpreted a little bit better as, as to contentment or joy. So what that means is regardless of what circumstances of life you're in, of what you're going through, what's, what you're facing in the here and now, that when you live a blessed life, you have this contentment and this joy that it is a, it's more of a state of being than an emotion. And that's the blessed type of life that Peter is talking about, that we all have access to. And so as we think about suffering, nobody really wants to go through suffering. I've never met one person that's like, yes, I just can't wait for that day to come. I've been preparing myself all my life. Now, we probably should be preparing ourselves because it's gonna happen at some point. But nobody likes going through it. And that's why Peter constantly reminds us that we're the, we are strangers. That this life that we're living, there's more to it than this. That our hope is in our future. And it's a future promise that God gives us. And that future is eternity. And that's the reward. That's our hope. That's our focus. That we, in that we can live a hope-filled life despite living in a strange land. And I'm reminded of a story of a missionary couple. I want to read it to you this morning that really helps to illustrate this point that we are strangers in, in a land and that this is not our home. So an American missionary couple returned to America by ship after several decades of faithful service in Africa. On board with them was an important diplomat who received VIP treatment during the voyage, while the missionary couple simply stood back and watched the fanfare. Upon arrival in New York City, a crowd and a band had gathered to receive the politician. And when he walked down the gangplank, music and loud applause erupted as his motorcade whisked him away. Then, quietly, with no fanfare, no attention, no music, the missionary couple walked arm in arm down the gangplank, taking their first steps on American soil in over 30 years. After some silence, the husband turned to his wife and said, Honey, it doesn't seem right after all these years that we have nobody to greet us. While that man got such a grand reception. The wife put her arm around her husband and gently reminded him, But honey, we're not home yet. What a great reminder that we are not home yet. 
this is not our home. So with that in mind, if this isn't our home, how in the world are we supposed to make it through? How do we do it? The answer is hope. The answer is hope. And today we're talking about hope over fear. Do me a favor, bow your heads, close your eyes, repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, speak to my heart, change my life, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, my, uh, me and my family love theme parks. Now, we love theme parks, not, or at least for me, not necessarily because of all the rides or the roller coasters. I'm not really a, a rides or roller coaster person, but uh, it's more for me. And one of the reasons why we love the Disney parks so much is because there's a story that takes you th- through every single ride that you're on. So I'm more about the storytelling than I am about the thrill. I don't like to go on a ride and feel like I'm going to die before I get off. It's, I am fearful of those things. But over time, I've come to appreciate uh, really more or less uh, some roller coasters. Um, Now, I am not by any means a roller coaster enthusiast, but uh, I've come to appreciate them. The more that I go on some, the more that uh, that uneasiness goes away because I'm like, hey, I just survived that. How is that going to hurt me? Uh, but also, I, I, I go on more and more of them these days really because of my kids. I have to continue to put on the persona that I'm invincible and I can do anything. And I can't have my kids calling me a chicken or a baby, you know, so I have to go on a lot of those things. Now, uh, many of you know uh, Kings Island, which is just a few miles down the road. We, go, we have a season pass to that park, and, and we go there. And I've been on almost, almost every ride in that park. Um, I was really apprehensive about Orion. So if you've ever been there, it's that big blue one. So it looks like this, and then it goes like this. Okay, so I was a little apprehensive, but I went on it, and I was like, hey, this is cool. Wow. All right, I can do that. Now there's one ride, specifically run one ride that I think that I was telling myself, and I would let everybody know as we showed up because even before you were out of the parking lot, you could see it, okay? And when you saw it, I would point from a distance and say, no, I will not go on that ride. I have no desire to do that. I would like to live. But after being on Orion, I thought to myself, especially because as you're sitting back like this, going up, and I'm looking out to the side, the ride I'm talking about is called the Wind Seeker. You can see it here. It's on the screen. Okay? Yeah. All, we're like, who would even make that? Why? Why? And as you're on the Orion heading up before you plummet, as you're going up, I look out and there's the top of the Windseeker getting lower and lower. I'm like, hey, I'm higher than that. And I survived Orion. I think to myself, maybe, just maybe one day I could do that ride. Well, it just happened to be one of the trips we were there. We were there. It was me and Lisa and then our two youngest, Lincoln and Allie. And we were just getting ready to leave. There was no line at the Windseeker. And uh, Allie and Lincoln are like, let's go on that. And Lisa's like, yeah, let's go. And I was like, um, hold on a second. 
And remember that whole invincible thing, you know, Lisa, Lisa looks at me and goes, come on, babe, put your big boy pants on. <laughs> Challenge accepted. So I go there and as I'm walking up to it, looking up, I'm apprehensive, go through the line. I'm thinking, this isn't going to be so bad. This isn't going to be so bad. Lisa and Lincoln sit down. Me and Allie sit down. My feet are dangling off of the seat. And as I begin to pull the harness down overhead, immediately I have a flashback to my childhood. A childhood that scarred me, that really made it so I didn't like rides for the majority of my life. And it reminded me of this, me and my brother, we were just little. I was, I must have been elementary school, but we were on this big ride. In my mind, it's like this, the hugest ride I've ever been on before, before is this large circle. It was like a Ferris wheel type thing, but it went in an angle and it, you were in a seat and it would, you know, swing you around. Well, as it's done, they have to let people off. And so we got stuck at the top and I'm looking down and I'm seeing how far. And back in the day, it seemed like, like safety wasn't really a big deal back then. You know, I'm sitting in this bench seat and there's just like a single bar, no seat belt. I probably could have slipped underneath, you know, and it's just like a door handle with like one of those push locks you know, that locked it. And my brother's like, hey, Enos. <laughs> and I'm like, stop it, stop it. That freaked me out. It really, that was the flashback I got. And fear gripped me. And as I'm bringing it down, I look at Allie, I go, uh, I don't think I can do this. And she's like, what? And I go, uh, nope, I'm done. And I put it up and I start stepping out. And she's like, huh? Lisa's behind me going, wait, what, what, what's happening? Where are you going? I'm like, sorry, Allie, I'm gone. And I leave. <laughs> and so Lisa's like, Lincoln, are you okay? He's like, yeah, I'm fine. She gets up with Allie. But then she even starts to get nervous. She's like, what do, does he know that I don't? And I get off, and, and Lisa's, Lisa's sitting there telling the worker, because the worker's like, what? And so she's getting in, and she's like, I'm so sorry. You know, this probably happens a lot. You, you see this a lot. And the guy looks at her, and he goes, mm, no, actually it doesn't. <laughs> so I go out, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I am taking, I put this, this scarlet S on me for scaredy cat. Like, I will proudly wear that badge. Okay, and I'm looking up and it starts going up and turning and uh, who should be leaning over their chair, sitting all by themselves, Lincoln. Going, hey, wimp, wimp, wimp. <laughs> Fear gripped me that day. And I have not redone that ride. I, I honestly, I don't know if I'll ever redo that ride again. But that also wasn't the first time that I ever had fear grip me like that, that I, that I had to kind of push through. When I was a high schooler, I went to Bible camp. And at, at the camp that we would go to, the local college had these summer ministry teams that would go out and they'd do um, you know, like skits and different things. And then they'd help out and be volunteers at the camp during the day. Well, so one of these teams was there and there was a really hot girl college girl. <laughs> and she was working the zip line that day. And I was like, she is so cute. And I'm like, there's a long line of people to do this zip line. I'm like, I'll go wait in line 
and I'll be able to talk with her, maybe get something started. We have a future together. And so I'm waiting. As we're waiting, you know, people are going up, and there's some people, when they get to the top, they freak out, and they're like, no, and they have to come down, and we're like, you know, laughing at them. And so then it's my time to go. And I had climbed trees all the time when I was a kid. I'm like, what's the big deal? So I start going. First, it starts with the ladder. And then as you transition from this ladder, you start climbing up these pegs. As soon as I transition from the ladder, all of a sudden I realize my hands are shaking a little bit and they're getting really uh, sweaty. But at this point, I'm like, I cannot turn back. She's watching. And so I keep going, and I'm, I, if with every climb up until I'm up to that 80-foot mark, I am like really freaked out and nervous. I've just got this harness on. And then there's this little tiny plywood platform. They call it a platform. It's not a platform. And they're like, go ahead, have a seat, you know. So I sit down, and they've got me connected to the zip line, and then the guy's like, okay, go. And I'm like, why don't you give me a push? And they're like, sorry, can't do that. But I, I mean, all these things are going through my mind because I'm so afraid that I'm gonna die. I don't trust the rope. I don't trust the harness. I don't trust the wire. I don't even trust the guy telling me, oh, you'll be fine, you'll be fine, just go. I was like, no way. But there was no way that I was gonna take the descend of shame and ruin things with that college girl. And so I decided to let go and just hope that I would live. So here's the definition. Oh, here, hold on, one more. Here's another picture, one more picture. This is, this is Lincoln and Allie. That was after they were done. But that's just, again, to give you a little perspective of the craziness of that ride. All right, moving on. So hope, this is the definition of hope. If you go to dictionary.com, this is the, denection, the definition. To look forward to with desire and reasonable confidence. To believe, desire, or trust. Okay, I chose to believe that I would live. And so I took that plunge and I lived. I did not die. That day, I chose hope over fear. I allowed that hope to overcome my fear. But there is a hope that is out there that is greater than any other hope around a hope that can allow me to do anything, a hope that would allow me to conquer all my fears. That hope is found in one place, and that place is Jesus. And that leads us to our main point today, that if you remember anything I say, remember this, because it is an important truth, that if you wanna live your life without fear, if you wanna accomplish the plans and the dreams that God has for you, we have gotta live with knowing and understanding this hope, and this is it. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our hope. Now, all of you have faced fear before, that crippling, paralyzing, just, man, that constant fretting of fear. All of us, all of you have faced that before. Now, some of you face, uh, uh, struggle with fear more than others, but everyone struggles with fear. Maybe it's because it's the fear of, um, 
It's the fear that you get from that anxiety, that you fear that anxiety, that constant worrying, that constant, oh, what is this going to happen? Or how, how, is, how are we going to get through this? Or what is that going to do? Or maybe it's a fear of embarrassment that, hey, if I try this and I fail, man, what are people going to think of me? And, and so you become paralyzed by that fear of embarrassment. Or maybe it's a fear of pain of physical pain, emotional or mental pain, all of these things that is associated with fear. Now, without fear, or sorry, without hope, fear makes sense. Without hope, fear makes sense. But you are not hopeless. There is a solution. There is an answer. Jesus is our hope. And so, so Peter knew this. And let's just be honest. Suffering is not a great topic to talk about or, nego- or want to go through. And, and Peter understood it. And that's why he would constantly, as you read the book of 1 Peter, he refers back many times talking about this hope, but also talking about that we are these strangers in this land. Because Peter knew there was more to this life than this life. That this is just the beginning. This is the dress rehearsal for our eternity. And that there is more to life. The best has yet to come. There is a future hope. It is eternity for us. And so he constantly is bringing that to our mind to put in front of us what the goal is. But it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to lose focus, especially when we are in the midst of suffering, when we're in the midst of persecution. Man, when we are going through it, it is easy to look at the things around us than to stay focused on what matters. But if we can do that, if we can keep hope focused in front of us, I'm not saying it's gonna be easy, but we'll be just fine. That's hope. That is hope. So we pick it up here in 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll be going through verses 13 through 17, but we're starting with verse 13. It says this, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? So Peter starts out first by asking this rhetorical question that he'll answer in verse 14. But he says, uh, Who can harm you if you're zealous for what is good. The definition of zealous is this. It's active, devoted, or diligent. What Peter is saying is be known for doing good. Be known for doing good. In fact, be a zealot for good. Be devoted to doing good. Be diligent to doing good. Be a passionate Christ follower. As Peter is telling us, when he asks that question, Peter's saying most of the people who do good, they don't suffer persecution because of the good that they're doing. Like, think about it for a minute. If you were, if you were just so devoted to doing good things in your life, helping people out, all of those things that, that come under the umbrella of doing good, Like what family, what friends, what neighbor, what local or or national uh, authorities are going to look at you and go, I just don't like you because you're doing so many good things. Now, what's the opposite of good? Bad. 
Now, if you are doing bad things, it is fully expected that people don't like you. Because doing bad things can hurt people. And they're like, I just don't like that person. They're constantly doing it. But if you do good things, people aren't going to be like, you know what? They are just so good. Let's go make them suffer. And so that's, that's what Peter's, Peter's telling us. And, and again, the previous verses, Peter talks about these virtues. He says, if you make these virtues of growing in your faith a part of who you are, if, if you make it a part of who you are, people will generally like you. Who doesn't want to be liked? I remember as a youth pastor, we did what we called the fall outreach. All the leaves would come down. And so we got a, a group of students. We grabbed trucks and garbage bags and rakes. And we just started driving around the community to houses that had leaves all over their yard. We'd go up to the door, knock on the door, and we'd go, hey, uh, can we rake your yard? We just want to be a blessing to our community today. And most people are like, yeah, you can. Absolutely. It's not like you're coming in, hey, I'd like to come in and spray Roundup to your yard and kill your grass. Like, that's doing bad. They'd be like, no, don't do that, right? It was, it was all about doing good. Well, I remember in particular this one house we went up to and we said, hey, we'd like to rake your leaves. We just want to be a blessing to our community. Can we rake your yard? And they look at us and they're like, uh, no. No, you can't. And we're like, Okay, and so we left and we go next door and we ask them, they're like, yeah, please do it. And so we're out there raking and it's so funny because we're watching this guy's like keeps peeking out his window. And he's like, are they really just raking the yard? And so finally he opens the door and he goes, hey, you really just want to rake my yard? And we're like, yeah. And he goes, okay, come on over. Right? So it's this idea, who's going to harm you for doing good? Why would you be persecuted for doing good things? Now, this is a freebie this morning. Okay? Don't hold back from doing good for God out of fear that someone won't like what you're doing. Don't let that stop you from moving forward because you're held back by fear for doing good works. Peter is literally saying, don't... Nobody's going to harm you for that. 99.9% of the time, nobody is going to persecute you for doing good things. Moving on to verse 14. I said, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. So this phrase, even if you should, in the Greek, that is known as a conditional clause. And it means this, that it's less probable in the future. So the question, and again, this is answering the rhetorical question that Peter just asked. So he's saying, who's going to harm you for doing good? And he puts out this saying, that's saying it's very unlikely that you're going to be persecuted for doing good things. So Peter, Peter's saying, don't, the people that do good, uh, the outcome and suffering is not an outcome that should be expected for doing good works. So let's just get that out in the open, okay? There's nothing holding us back from doing the good works of God, from being his hands and feet, from blessing and loving our communities and those around us. Okay, the type of persecution that Peter is talking about is it's the persecution brought on by righteousness sake. 
And what does that mean? It simply means that by living a life for Jesus, that simply because you are a Christ follower, that you stand upon the word of God, you conform it to your life and you follow it, that you could be persecuted for that, for your beliefs, for your values. And we know that today and in our climate today of our culture, there are times that we are persecuted or ridiculed for our stances upon God's word for things that go against the culture of today. And that is what Peter is talking about. It is more likely that you will be persecuted for living for Jesus than for doing the good works of Jesus. And so he goes on, he says, but even if you are, you will be blessed. And again, that word blessed. Hey, it's that, hey, you may be going through it, but you're still, there's gonna be that contentment, that joy, that this isn't fun, but come on, I know, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm here for. I know where my hope lies. But as a believer, you are blessed. God holds your future. You belong to God and our future is eternity. You see, for an unbeliever, when they suffer a blow in the world, it can leave them hopeless. It can shatter them. It can bring them to their, their knees where they may never get up again. And here's the thing, it can happen every single day. It can happen all the time, but that doesn't happen with a believer because we have hope. We have hope. And then he goes on, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. The word fear translates into avoiding or fleeing. And the word troubled tra uh, translates into shaken up or intimidating. And what Peter is doing is the background to what Peter is telling you here is found in the book of Isaiah. As Isaiah is talking uh, and, and telling the Israelites, as they're watching this impending invasion come upon them, he says, hey, don't be afraid. Don't flee, don't try and avoid. He said, don't be shaken up by this mass army coming to you. Don't be troubled by it. He's saying, because what can they do to you? Instead, fear God. Fear the one that created us. Fear the one that created that army because God is in control. Jesus says it like this in, in Matthew 10, 28. It says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. See, here is the, the, the sharp contrast between the believer and the unbeliever. Okay, with the unbeliever, there is no hope because they don't know Jesus. And so this life is everything. Death is it. That is the end. But for the believer, we know that this life is just the beginning. When we take our last breath here, we awaken to eternity. That's the hope. And when we know that, when we know, oh, wait a minute. So even if an army comes at us, kills us, destroys us, we're being told, hey, don't fear it. I mean, you don't have to look forward to it by any means. But he's saying, don't try and run, don't try and hide. Don't let it, don't let that come, that fear come in and cripple you and keep you from moving forward because even if your life should end, it's not over. 
And that's what Jesus is saying. Rather fear him, fear God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. There is nobody on this earth that can do anything to you or nothing on this earth that can do anything to you that can rob you and steal your inheritance. Your inheritance of eternity. And when you understand that, hope replaces fear. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our hope. Next verse. Verse 15, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Now this is important not to pass over. When Peter says Christ the Lord, that word Lord translates into the Hebrew word of Yahweh. That was a very specific name for God in the Old Testament of the person of God. What he's doing here, honoring Christ the Lord, he is tying in Christ's deity to God. He's connecting Jesus and God together. Okay, and this idea of their hearts, the heart was known as the center of a person's life, that that's where everything came out of and, and went in. And so what we need to do is center our life on Jesus, acknowledge Jesus for who he is, the son of God. And when we've centered God in the center of our lives, put him there, we can then respond responsibly when we face persecution, when we face suffering. So that's what Peter's talking about here. He says, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So it's this idea that we're centered, we're centered properly. And you want to know what hope does? Hope frees us to be bold in the face of suffering. It allows us to be courageous during persecution. And so Peter says, hey, be ready to give a defense. You know, the distinguishing mark of a Christian, of a Christ follower, has always been our hope. It puzzles unbelievers. They don't understand it. Knowing, like, whether they're bringing it on to us or we're just getting it from the world or whatever, they are puzzled by how in the world can you still be standing up and believing and hoping and trusting in Jesus when you're going through what you're going through? They don't understand it. The last time I, I spoke to you, a friend uh, a friend of ours, his wife had passed away unexpectedly. She was healthy, uh, 45 years old. It was just a very sudden, tragic event. They've got three girls. Uh, it was two weeks before their oldest daughter was set to graduate high school. I mean, just a devastating thing. But since that time, he posts on Facebook every single day talks about the things that he loves and misses about his wife. And I have been so challenged and, and encouraged reading his posts daily because every post will either begin or end with, I know this is tough, I know this is hard, and I miss her, but my God is good, and I will see her again. Like, it's, it's hope that he's talking about. And an unbeliever would see that, and they, they're like, how can you be fine? 
How can you act so happy or just be going on with your life? I'll tell you how. Hope. Jesus. That's why. And that's what confuses unbelievers. And so Peter says, be ready to give that defense. What is that defense? It simply means with just being able to explain why it is what you believe. Just be able to tell them about that hope, about what it is. And then he, and he goes on and, he, and, then he, and then he says, give that hope, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And I think this is big, this is key. As he talks about do it with gentleness, that simply means don't be arrogant. Don't stand on your soapbox. Trust me, I have, I have been, you know, part of the ridicule of people. I am so tired of this world wanting to blame Christians for so many things. Like, trust me, if I could be like, okay, mm, yeah, I am the first to do that. But Peter's going, that's not going to do anything. Trust God to change the attitudes, to speak to him with gentleness. Give your defense. Let them know why it is what you believe with gentleness. Proverbs 15.1 says this. It says, a soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. I don't even have to explain this to you. This is pretty self-explanatory. And then he says, with gentleness and respect. And that word respect actually translates to fear. You think fear, but it's fear of misrepresenting God. We don't want to misrepresent God. That's why he says do it with gentleness and respect. Blessing can be found during suffering. And hope can be found during persecution. Peter knew it. Peter lived it. I mean, think about this for one second. Okay? As Jesus was was standing before uh, the council during his trial. He was giving his defense with gentleness and respect because he knew where his hope was. He knew what it was all about. And at that same time, Peter was out in the courtyard cussing out a girl and denying knowing Jesus. Go then into Acts chapter four, something changed. Peter now knows the hope. He understands it. And he's standing before that same council that Jesus stood before. And he is giving his defense as to where his hope is found with gentleness and respect. And look what happens, the response. In verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Catch this next part. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. When we give the defense for our hope with gentleness and respect, people have the ability to see Jesus in us. And our hope will shine through and people will see the hope that is within us. Next, 
verse 16, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. You know where a clear conscience comes from? It comes from good conduct. Integrity, character, purity, righteousness. We can have a good conduct, good conscience when we live by good conduct and we're living for Christ. So that when people come against us, they want to slander us, they want to try and tear us down, just know, just know that one day they will be put to shame, whether here on this earth or in the next life. God's got us. We just have to do our part. Live how God has called us to live. Do what God has called us to do. Verse 17 It says, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. So just know that suffering for good isn't because of sin in our life. Like you can sin and you'll suffer because of that. But when you do good, it's not because of anything that we've done negatively. It's... And again, the likelihood of us suffering for good is very, very small. And so don't mix up what's happening. If, you're, if you are suffering from something, is it something that you did or are you truly being persecuted? But it's not because of just for doing good. But it's this, it is better to live a life for Christ and suffering than to live a comfortable life and never speak of Jesus. Jesus is our hope. 2 Peter 2.12 says this, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. James 13.3 says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And Titus 2.7 says this, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity and dignity through suffering people can come to know Jesus Jesus is our hope so I want to close this morning with a question for you how would our lives our conduct our words be different if we really weren't afraid of anything. If we knew that the most important thing to us could not be taken away, that God's love for us will never fail, how would our lives be different? How would our lives be different? Because Jesus is our hope. I'm gonna direct your attention to these connection cards. On the connection card, there's some next steps, but this is how I wanna phrase these next steps today. I wanna pose them as questions to you. Because I want you to really think about it. Do I need this? Talking about hope, 
We talked about the difference between a believer and unbeliever is hope, the hope of Jesus. Are you here today without hope and you need the hope of starting a real relationship with Jesus? If that's you, I'm just gonna ask this real bluntly and easily. If that's you, if you say, I need a real relationship with Jesus, you just lift up your hand right now. Who cares if anybody's looking around, but you say, I need the hope of Jesus and I need to begin a real relationship with him. Or maybe you're here and you would say, hey, I've, I've had that hope before, but boy, I've, I've lost that focus that you were talking about. And I need to get back on, I need to put that, that hope right back in front, because that's what it's about, eternity, eternity with God. You say, I just need to, do you need to make a fresh start with Jesus this morning? Maybe you've, you've invited him in your life before, but do you need to make a fresh start? with? If that's you, just lift up your hand. You're just being honest. Yeah, that's me. I need to make a fresh start with Jesus. I need to recommit my life to him. Or maybe, do you need to make a next spiritual step? Do you need to make next spiritual steps a priority in your life? We talk about next steps all the time. Our mission is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We do that by helping people know God, finding that hope, find freedom, getting free from, from their past life and their struggles, taking that daily step towards Jesus, discovering their purpose, how God has gifted you and designed you so that you can then make a difference for eternity. That's grouping together in a team with one mind, one focus of pointing people in the direction of Jesus. Next steps is a huge part of us finding freedom. I don't care if you've been a, a Christian all your life or for a week or you just made that decision today. We constantly need to make next steps. If we're not moving in our relationship with Jesus, we are stagnant and we don't grow. Nothing grows when things are staying. Just look, I shut my pool off, my pool filter off. Uh, I didn't mean to do it for this long, but I shut it off for a day. Then it rained a ton, then it got really hot and humid. And like I had green stuff growing in there because there was no movement. It's the same thing in our lives. Doesn't matter where we're at in the journey. It just matters that we keep taking steps towards Jesus. So how many of you need to make taking next steps towards Jesus a priority in your life? It's time to get up and start moving. Been sitting on the sidelines too long. We gotta move towards Jesus. The last one, do you need to seek God for your next spiritual step? Maybe you just simply, you're like, yes, I need to do that. I need to seek, I, I need to make these next steps priority in my life, but I just don't know what. You're just being honest this morning to say, that's me. I, 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 just, I just need to seek God for what my next step is. Well, we're gonna have opportunity. I'm gonna invite our prayer teams to come forward. They'll be here at the front. We call this the altar. The altar is a representation of where God's presence is. God's presence is everywhere, but it's a representation of where his presence was in the Bible as it talks about the altar. But we've got our prayer teams here. We're gonna continue to worship as a time of response. If you answered any of those questions, I wanna invite you as we worship, just 
come up, find a place at these altars. Seek God, what's my next step? God, would you help me to make next steps a priority in my life? Or if you need prayer, these prayer teams would love to pray with you. So Jesus, we just give you this morning, we give you this day, we ask that you would lead us. Lord, give us that boldness and courageousness, Lord, to take the step that you're calling us to take. For those of you that said, I need to begin a real relationship with Jesus, it's as simple as saying, Jesus, I need you, forgive me my sins. Come and be the Lord of my life. And if you need to make that fresh start with him, it's the same thing. Jesus, I'm sorry that I've forsaken you. I've took my focus from you. Would you receive me back? The answer is yes, he always will. He always will. What step will you take today? Would you guys stand to your feet? Respond if you need to respond. Let's continue to worship.